Because not only does music create mood, because I mean, you know, sometimes like you're angry and you want to listen to like some good death metal music and scream at the world or whatever it is. That's not healthy. You know, I don't know that that music is ever healthy. Uh, you know, sometimes you got like the party music and you're like, yeah, and it makes you want to dance or, you know, cool guys just tap their toe or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's all in you. So you got the music thing that will set a vibe. Um, but light and color set a vibe too. So I was telling my wife, I was like, okay, whatever you do, my youngest daughter is wild. I said, I need you to put the most calming colors possible in her room to try to calm her down a little bit. So, so I learned this like yellow is kind of a happy color. Red and orange are exciting colors. They create more energy. You know, blue is more soothing. You got all these different ideas and they create, everybody say atmosphere. I mean, know that. You can, you, can, you can do this with all kinds of different things. Certain things are created by atmosphere. What I learned in scripture is this, is that there's actually something correlating atmospheres and miracles. If you have your Bible, go to Mark chapter six. We're in, a, we're in a series called Instigating a Miracle because what I did was I began to look at the scripture and I was curious. This started me on a journey to where I looked at every single miracle that Jesus ever performed and I asked myself one question. Was it all on Jesus that just because he wanted to, just because he was powerful, just because he decided, hey, I just like to do miracles, I'm gonna do a miracle for you today, here you go? Or does, does there happen to be some type of human element? Is there a principle in play? Is there something that you or I can do to possibly instigate a miracle? And I thought, this is a bit of a stretch, but I'm just curious to see what the scripture says because I kind of think that sometimes we grow up in church being indoctrinated over and over just assuming the same things about God, but what if we actually looked at scripture and just started beginning to just ask new questions? God, what do miracles have to do? How are they started? How are they? And what we found last week is, and in the example of particularly two women, is that one woman kind of stole a miracle. She kind of snuck up on Jesus. Jesus wasn't even looking, wasn't even paying attention. As a matter of fact, according to the story, he was on his way to heal someone else. And this woman pushes through the crowd, makes everybody ceremonially unclean according to their custom and day, and touches the hem of his garment and seemingly steals a miracle. Even the way Jesus responds would, would kind of lead us to believe this. Jesus said, who touched me? Power just went out of me as if he was completely aware that somebody was going to access him and take a miracle away. There's this other woman. She comes to Jesus, begs Jesus for a miracle, and he tells her no. Which is crazy because we always think Jesus just loves people and heals people and always there to help people. He tells her No. And she basically nags him and begs him and pleads with him and just stays so persistent. that finds like, wow, you're a very persistent person. I like that about you. And he heals the woman's daughter. It's incredible the thought that these two women actually instigated, provoked, set a fire that created a chain reaction that got their miracle. And Jesus looked at him and said, wow, your faith has made you Oh, and we looked at last week at this notion, this kind of idea that radical, persistent, audacious faith is definitely one of the requirements if you want to instigate a miracle. Because here's what I know about you. You're going to need a miracle someday. Some of you, as you admitted last week, you need a miracle right now. Whether in your body, in your family, something financial, something out of the ordinary, you need something spectacular to happen in your life. And if you don't need one now, give it some time. At some point, we are all going to need a miracle. Now, I don't want you living off miracles, but I know this at some point in time, you're going to need a miracle. And as we will look at the scripture today, what I'm gonna show you is that there's something very, very unique about atmospheres and miracles. Mark chapter six, let's read together uh, verse number one. The Bible says that Jesus left where he was and went to his hometown. Everybody say hometown. That's significant. And he said he was accompanied by his disciples. 
When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him, they were amazed. Where did this guy get this stuff from? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? He even does, everybody say miracles. He even does miracles. But wait a minute. Isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Are his sisters here with us? And then they took offense at him. And so Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. Verse 5, this is strange. He could not do any miracles there. Now, I just think that's crazy. He's the Son of God. He can do what he wants. He's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. The Bible says that he could do no miracles. And then it goes on to say, well, he... You can't totally contain the Son of God. He did lay hands on a few sick people and healed them. But it says something interesting, that there was some type of funkiness in the environment. And the Bible says that he could do not do any miracles where? There. Which means that miracles in some way were connected to a place. Did you notice that? Wasn't that he couldn't do any miracles, that he couldn't do any miracles, everybody shout, There. That there is an atmosphere and a place for miracles. This is ultimately what it says. They, they could do no miracles there except he laid down. And the Bible says in verse 6, and he was amazed at their lack of what? Faith. So Jesus is in an environment. The Bible says that he goes to his hometown. And at first they're kind of like, wow, this guy's awesome. This guy's shucking the corn. That was a great sermon. You know, he was really, that was, that was wisdom. He blew my mind. And even, we know he's a miracle worker, but wait a minute. I mean, I know who he is. I know his brother. His brother's crazy. And I know his sister. She's, yeah, she's a little weird. And, and he was the carpenter's kid, wasn't he? And all this information comes flooding back to them, and they're reminded, wait a minute, this isn't some angelic person. We don't even think he's a prophet. He can't be all that great. We saw him when he was little, and he couldn't play basketball to save his life. We, we saw him when he was just a tiny tyke. Miracle worker. And the Bible says that they took offense at him. And because of their offense, because of what I'll call familiarity, because of this entire atmosphere and the doubt and the lack of faith, the Bible says that the Son of God could do no miracles there. I find that fascinating. Miracles are connected to atmospheres. And how many know atmospheres are huge? We talked about this a minute ago, that sometimes music can create an atmosphere. Sometimes lighting and color they can create an atmosphere. Smells can create an atmosphere, can't they? All these things. I find this so true about movies. You ever watch movies? I go back to my um, un unsaved childhood days. Y'all remember like Friday the 13th? Does anybody remember? You always knew when somebody was going to get it. Because you'd hear, ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch-
Parties do this. When you walk into a party, how many know a party has a very unique and different atmosphere than a funeral? It just does. You know, a funeral, everybody wants to whisper. How are you doing? Is everything okay? You, know, you whisper, you're polite, you're kind, you're soft-spoken, you don't want to offend anybody. At a party, you're yelling to try to like yell over the music. And there's just a different vibe and a different atmosphere. I'll give you another example. I was at, um, there's this great downtown barbecue joint. And I was there on one of the nights of the World Series when the Giants were in the World Series just recently. I don't even like baseball. Boo. <laughs> Aren't you a Dodger fan? <laughs> Boo him, the Dodger fan. Thank you. Don't heckle me, it'll come right back. So I'm at, I'm at this barbecue joint, and man, we're into it. I'm with another family, and you know what? The, the people in that place, they're all... Baseball fans, everybody's into the Giants winning, except for that guy, and, and everybody's just excited and into it, and every time they score a run, the crowd, whoa, yeah, whoa, they're clapping, they go crying. I got into it. I don't even like baseball. Baseball's boring to me, and I'm like, whoa. I mean, you know, there's just something about the atmosphere, it becomes electric, doesn't it? Everybody else is into it, and you just want to be like, whoa, you just want to get into it. Why? There's something about the, hey, have you ever walked in, when you were a kid, you ever walked in on your parents fighting? Or maybe you were just like another couple, like you're going over to another couple's house for dinner, and obviously you're like, something's not right here. There's something weird in the atmosphere. I could cut the tension with a butter knife. I mean, there's just, there's something about this thing. Why? You walked in on an atmosphere that was funky because they had been fighting and yelling at one another. Hey, guys, let me help you out real quick here. I'm just, just Somebody, somebody needs to take notes right here. There's a romantic mood in atmosphere, isn't there? Like some of you guys, you know, like you, you, you know, your wife comes home and you, you know, the house is a mess and you let the kids go crazy and there's dishes everywhere and you got your underwear on the floor and the whole house is crazy and then you put the kids to bed like, mm-hmm, how you doing? Good to see you. And you try to make your move. You're stupid. That's not how you make your move. You clean the house. You light candles to get a nice aroma going. You pick your underwear up off the floor. You put on a little, you know, a little Miles Davis, a little Marvin Gaye. You put on some nice music. You put on, you, you, you set a tone, don't you? There's a mood and an atmosphere that relates to certain purposes and intentions. Would we all agree with that? Here's what I know about atmospheres. Atmospheres are dictated by the attitudes, and mindsets, and purposes of the people in that environment, right? We can all agree on that. We also know this, is that atmospheres dictate behavior, don't they? You put a, a certain person in a certain kind of, uh, of a room with a certain lighting, a certain color, a certain music, a certain smell, a certain atmosphere, you can either get them excited, you can get them, this is why you, you know this, you go to a concert and you don't even know all the lyrics to the song and you know like the first few lines, you're like, and you'll start singing like blah, blah, blahs. Because why? Everybody else is singing and I'm just into it. I just, yeah, yeah, good. You just sing. You don't know the words. Why are you singing? I just want to because atmosphere dictates behavior. Atmosphere. Last thought is this, is that atmospheres, and this is where we're going today, atmospheres can either instigate or block miracles. I'm just reading the Bible, right? The Bible says that he could do no miracles. Where? There. 
had nothing to do with his power or ability. And it says that it was directly related to their attitudes. The atmospheres are dictated by attitudes, mindsets, and purposes, right? And what was their attitude? Their attitude was that of doubt, disrespect, familiarity. See, this is what, let's be honest, sometimes we as church people fall right into these same categories. You know what familiarity is? Let me give you some ideas on what familiarity is as I'll define them today. Familiarity says this, I'm so close to you, I don't really respect you anymore. Isn't that kind of true? Sometimes we used to really respect the boss, we used to really respect the pastor, we used to really respect that person, and then we got so close to him that our relationship changed and honor wasn't the priority anymore. We, were, we could just kick it now, so now I could just take that joke or, or make that comment or, or be a little bit more casual or be a little bit more rude or de- be a little more blunt about how I said that. And so it's just that we're so close, I don't respect you anymore. The next one I would say is it's kind of like this. Well, I see us as equals, so I don't esteem you like I used to. Another idea just to kind of define this is, well, you're not special anymore. You're ordinary. We do this with our spouse sometimes. When you were dating, they were special. You used to do special things for them. You used to go out of your way to do little funny. Guys, you, you were romantic. Don't tell me you're not romantic. You were. You used to. You had game back in the day. You lost your game. You lost your game because of familiarity. Because you got so close, you thought, well, you know, it's just not the same as you're not special anymore. You're, you're ordinary. I've been around you so long, it's just the same old, same old, same old anymore. And it's just, we're so comfortable with each other. We know each other so well that we lose, we lose our game. And the same exact thing happens in our relationship with God. We're so close that the respect level, the honor, the reverence begins to wane. Why? We come to church and we keep, just kind of showing up late and showing up late and showing up late because worship, I mean, we worship every week. I've heard those songs before. It's just not a big deal. And so we continually show up late and really it comes out of, it's just not that big of a deal anymore. Because if it were that big of a deal, we'd be there, sharp, ready to go, our hearts open, our minds focused, our attention and affection ready to go and be excited about the interaction we were about to have between God's people and God himself. We'd be excited about that. And so familiarity kind of shrinks the gap and says, well, we're kind of equals now or we're kind of too close or it's just too familiar. And it says that that same thing happened in his hometown. They were like, wait a minute. We know who you are. I've seen you before. And we just get too comfortable in our relationship with God. Not only that, it says they were full of doubt. Doubt is nothing more than a negative expectation. I wanna say according to the Bible, doubt is even a neutral expectation. It is only that when we have faith and hope that we have a positive expectation. And so the Bible says something fascinating here. It says that in this place, that they could do no miracles. Here's some of the questions I would ask you. If you really need a miracle in life and you check the gauge, the atmosphere of your heart, the atmosphere of your home, the atmosphere of your life, you have to ask yourself some questions, some things like this. How's my attitude towards Jesus? What's my mindset about worship? What's my heart towards going to church? What, what's my attitude towards the things of God, towards reading scripture and having God speak to me? What are my attitudes about that? Because if my attitude is lame, the atmosphere will not be conducive for a miracle. It's just a thought. Mark chapter six, Jesus does something interesting. 
The whole chapter is fascinating. He does a couple other things that take place in the middle of it. But by the end of the chapter, he gets in a boat, crosses over, and goes to a new city. And I want you to read what happens there. The Bible says in verse 53, it says that when they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, the people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the entire region and carried back the sick on mats to wherever Jesus was and wherever he went, into villages, towns, countryside. They placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all, everybody say all. You're early, you gotta get in unison with everybody. Everybody say all. And all who touched him were healed. Now, again, what, what did Jesus change? From verse you know, 5 to verse 30, whatever, did, did, did Jesus change? Did Jesus grow more powerful? Did Jesus get new miracle-working magic? No, none of that stuff. What changed? Location. It's location, location, location. The atmosphere changed. And you can see a totally different attitude, mindset, and purpose in the people of Gennesaret. In, in this place, the Bible says as soon as he gets out of the boat, they start running to Jesus. Now, in the other town, it wasn't like this. As he got there, he hung out, he went to the synagogue, he taught. They're kind of judging, questioning, not sure. They're full of familiarity, doubt, dishonor, disrespect. And the Bible says that Jesus could do no miracles. He gets in Gennesaret, it's the exact opposite. The Bible says everybody gets healed. Not just everybody who was right there. The Bible says they went throughout the countryside collecting broke down people. Let's find as many tore up people as we can and drag them to Jesus. There's some fascinating things that are going on here. Real quick thought is this. I, I just wanted to share this with you. Notice that the Bible says that they brought as many as they could so that they might touch Jesus. Most of us do the opposite. Many of us sit and wait and we say, Jesus, would you please touch me? And what they did was the exact opposite. If you notice the woman last week, she did the same thing. She didn't say, hey, Jesus, could you come touch me? She said, I don't care if you touch me or not, I'm touching you. These people said, I don't care if you wait, uh, you know, to get in the line and come by and you touch me. No, 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 I will fight through the crowd and I will touch you. Even I just can touch the hem of your coat. I want to touch you. And there's a different attitude about that. Some of us wait hoping Jesus touches us. Other people are so persistent and tenacious that they say, I don't care if he touches me, I'm going to touch him. There's a radical difference in our approach and our mentality in our heart towards the things of God. And so the Bible says that every one of them gets healed. The Bible says that, that ultimately that, that in this place they recognize him as soon as he gets out of the boat. Now this, listen to this, there's no CNN back then. There's no 24-hour news cycle. How did they, some people had been in his presence, some people maybe had seen him do miracles before, but when he got off the boat, they knew that a miracle worker had arrived. They knew that something amazing was gonna happen. They had an, think about this. You don't go get your friends from like the next country or the next uh, you know, county down and drag them back to Jesus unless you have a high expectancy that Jesus can do everything. So this whole attitude is radically different. They have, they have this thing where they want to recognize him. They want to honor him. They have an expectancy. They want to just get wherever he is. They want to follow him around. Notice that they give three different descriptions. They say they followed him to the towns, the villages, and the countryside. Wherever he went, they were following. Wherever he went, they wanted to be right there nipping at his heels. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted it all. Radically different atmosphere. 
Can you imagine? And you've been like this before. We've seen this in, in churches. There's a church atmosphere where people are hungry for the things of God. They're excited about worship. There's an atmosphere of expectancy, and there's just some energy in that room. And we've been some other churches that should have been, had, a, had a door outside or a sign outside that should have said, First Church of the Frozen Chosen. <laughs> Bedside Baptist, because we're sleeping in here. We have all these different, like, Churches that, unfortunately, we have become so familiar with Jesus. It is routine. It is normal. It is ordinary. And because of that, we don't experience miracles in our life. But here's what I know about you. At some point, you're going to need a miracle. What I'm telling you is this, is that you need to create an atmosphere for miracles. And you know what? The first thing we learn from these two stories is this, is if you want to create an atmosphere for miracles, you need an atmosphere that has high, high honor respect and reverence for God. And so I thought about this. I'm like, well, how do I do that other than just have, and I really believe this. I believe that the way that you honor God is you honor the things that he honors as well. Let me give you an example. Jesus is confronting a group of people and in Mark chapter seven, he says this. He goes, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They honor, I mean, you got good lip service. You say all the right things, but your heart's not in the right place. And ultimately what he judged was is he judged how they treated other people. He judged what they did with their lives. You can say to God whatever you want, but it's what it comes out of your heart when it comes to the life that you live, how you treat other people, the way you honor. So how do you honor the things that God honors? Do you honor his words? Well, the only way I would know to honor God's words is to actually dedicate my life to learning and listening and studying his words. How do I honor, you know, here's a radical thought. I know this about me. You can be nice to me and respect me and honor me all you want. If you disrespect my wife, we have issues. Why? Because that's my wife. Might as well be one and the same. Here's a radical thought. If we don't honor the bride of Christ, how does that make him feel? So how do we view church? How do we view scripture? How do we view the Holy Spirit? How do we view the things of God? And when we don't honor the things of God, we don't really honor God. We just got the lip service thing going. And I'm telling you this because you're going to need a miracle at some point in life. You've got to raise the level of honor in how you treat other people, how you treat the things of God. And that right there is the beginning of creating that atmosphere. You have the right music going. You have the right smell, the right lighting, the right color. All the things come to bed. I'm telling you, it's an atmosphere of honor. Let's keep going because I, I want to show you that this is dead on. Go to Mark chapter 5 real quick. This would be skipping forward in your book one page. You're going backwards in your book one page. The Bible says this interesting story. I'm going to start with verse number 37. In verse number 37 of Mark chapter 5, Jesus does something fascinating. He's going to go heal someone's daughter who has been basically pronounced as dead. This is what happens. Verse number 37. The Bible says that he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now, this is what you need to know. Like, this is crazy to me, and this is really, really strange to our Western culture. They actually, in, in ancient Eastern times, had professional paid mourners. Isn't that wild? Even if you were poor, you were expected to have at least one mourner to come to your friend's funeral or your family's funeral. And literally, the wealthier you were, now, the, the more people you would have. Now, this guy is the leader of the synagogue, so how many know he's... I, I think he's rolling deep and he's doing pretty well. How many people do they have here? They, they literally have a mob of people who are paid to wail and cry and mourn. I find that to be strange. 
I just wanted to share that with you in case you didn't know what that meant or what was going on. This wasn't like all the families devastated. No, paid professional whalers and more. You can see this other parts of Scripture as well, but I don't have time. So anyway, the Bible says that Jesus looks at this commotion, and he goes in and he says, Why all this commotion and wailing? That child is not dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at him. I don't know that this is ever wise. Don't laugh at God. So first thing, you got this atmosphere, right? Death, funeral, wailing, mourning, crying, and then they laugh at the Son of God. Dishonor, disrespect, lack of reverence. Do you see the environment? Now, does that sound like an atmosphere for miracles? No. So the Bible says, and one translation actually says, he kicked them out. He says, get out. And he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Now, this is just my interpretation of it. I think he's got a lot of disciples, but he knows, look, I need, I need my top three. I need Peter, James, and John. I need the guys that are the, 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 at the top of the list in terms of faith, belief, growth, where they're at in their, in their relationship with God. I need the top three that I, I need mom and dad because mom and dad are desperate. Nobody's desperate like mama's desperate. Nobody prays like mama prays. Nobody cries like mama. I'm going to tell you desperation. So mom and dad got some desperation. They are willing to cling on to any level of hope that they can get their hands on. He's got Peter, James, and John. I got my top three studs. All right, let's do this. He takes her by the hand and says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. It literally, in their translation, would have been like, sweetheart, it's time to get up. It would have been that type of of sweet, sentimental, it was something a dad would say to his daughter, that kind of a translation is what that means. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was only 12 years old, and at this they were completely astonished. Now, what do you see Jesus doing here? Jesus determines that he's going to dictate the atmosphere. The need is so high, this girl is dead. I'm going to dictate the atmosphere. And here's what you need to ask yourself. When you really need a miracle, who's around you? Because if you're constantly surrounded by people who are doubters, people who don't regard the things of God very highly, people that don't really have a high level of faith, I'm telling you, you might need to just go ahead and take a break from some folks. Call them up later. But in the moment that you need your miracle, you know who you want around you? You want some people that have some radical faith. You want some people that say, you know what, God is able that there's nothing too hard for him. We're gonna believe, we're gonna pray, we're with you, God is able. There is nothing impossible with God. That's what you want with the people around you. You want some high level faith people. You want some people that are speaking hope, don't you? Why, because you gotta create an atmosphere of miracles. And maybe it's not your miracle. Maybe you need to be here today so that you can hear these words and say, you know what, when I go out of this place, I wanna be a person that creates the right atmosphere. I wanna be someone who's always speaking the language of the kingdom. And the language of the kingdom is faith and hope and life and future and purpose and destiny. I wanna be one of those type of people who speak like that. The doubters, they're the ones that are like, you'll never. It's too late. God won't. My old pastor used to say this. He used to say that an atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. Let me say that again, that an atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. I don't know about you, but um, I have three rugrats at home. And, you know, there's a certain level of preparation you have before your kid comes. Um, I always want to know the gender of the baby. I'm not one of those people that wants to be surprised because then my room is yellow. Um, I want to know, so that way I know if I can get little pink balloons or little boo balloons or however that's going to work out. That's just me. And so what we do is this, is every time we know that we're expecting, you know what we begin to do? We begin to order up some furniture 
we begin to get some decorations. We get diapers. We have a little party. We have all the little fixings. We get them little tiny clothes and little booty things. Those little beanie caps that they wear. We get everything ready while we're expecting. Here's a radical thought. What if you were truly believing for a miracle? Here's what I would dare you to do. Start taking some steps of expectancy. You know, I'm believing God's gonna do something great. So I'm gonna go ahead and move in that direction because I believe that's what's gonna happen. And I'm telling you what, God takes a look back at your audacious faith and God takes a look at the atmosphere you've created, that you have an atmosphere of honor and you have an atmosphere of expectancy. I'm telling you what, if you want to create miracles in your life, as we read these stories today, that's what you need to do. You need to make some audacious, radical, persistent faith, and then you need to create the mood. Again, how many know atmosphere dictates behavior? You need to create a mood so that you can hopefully create a presence for God to do something great in your life. How many know there's a difference between a thermometer and a thermostat in life? One of them just kind of gauges the temperature, don't they? They're on the wall, they can just kind of just tell you what the temperature is. But the thermostat is where you dial it in and you say, no, this is what I want the temperature to be. And you begin to adjust it. You know what I want you to be? I want you to be the thermostat in life. I want you to be that when you walk into a room, and it might be funky, that you bring life and hope. That when you walk into a room and there's sadness and there's doubt and there's discouragement and there's disbelief, I want you to bring hope and life. If you've ever walked into a hospital room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The hospital sometimes is one of those places that is so kind of just down and dreary, and you can tell that there's almost death in the atmosphere at times, and there's doubt in the atmosphere at times. And what I'm telling you is this, is you can be the one that walks in like a thermostat and dials it in and say, you know what, when I walk into this room, I'm gonna speak life. When I walk into this room, I'm gonna speak hope and faith and love and blessing and I'm gonna speak purpose and I wanna make sure that I'm in here, if nothing more, helping this family, helping that person believe that our God is still able to do miracles. Let's pray this morning. There is an atmosphere for miracles. If you want to instigate a miracle, if you want to provoke a miracle, I'm not saying you can buy one or you can trick God. I'm not saying that you can formulate a miracle. I do not believe that. I believe miracles are absolutely unique and specific. But what we see in Scripture is this, is there are certain things that can help it get going and there are certain things that can block it. And I'm telling you today, the first thing that's going to block it is that familiarity and that dishonor and disrespect and that doubt. But what we want to do is we want to create a home. We want to create a church. Well, man, there's an atmosphere of expectancy. There's an atmosphere of honor. What if your home looked like that? What if people, when they walked into your home, was like, uh-uh, I like it here. There's something warm about this place. I, I enjoy being in your company. I enjoy being in this place. Why, you created an atmosphere. What if people, when they walked into our church, they just felt an energy, the likes of which they didn't feel in other places? What if they just felt hope and life and joy? What would your world look like if you took this thought and said, you know what, everywhere I go, I'm gonna become the thermostat. I'm not just gonna gauge the temperature, I wanna dictate the temperature, and I wanna make sure that everywhere I go, I'm bringing honor and faith wherever I go. You know what you might just be? You might just be the person that instigates someone else's miracle for them. So Father, we pray as a church, Lord God, that you would put it in our heart, that you would renew our mind, that Lord God, we would be a people Lord God, who always puts you in the highest of honor, that God, we wouldn't treat you lightly, we wouldn't treat you casually, God. There is nothing ordinary about you. Jesus, there is nothing ordinary about you at all, God, and we want to always keep you in the highest of esteem. Of esteem. We will never make you casual. 
God, you are extraordinary. God, we want to be the people that create that type of atmosphere in our churches and our homes, Lord God. Help us to walk out of this place and do that, God. Help us to always keep your words, your church, your presence in the highest of honor. God, help us to always walk around believing that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, God. We pray that we would become this type of people, Lord God, that we would truly become the light of the world and the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, God. Help us to be that people, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you believe that, give me a good gospel amen out there. Yeah, put your hands together this morning.